Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial and podcast on the WWWs. We are the Dogs, the defenders of government schools. Now we have a packed show for you tonight. We have good news, we have bad news, we have news from all around the world. Um, I'll be talking in detail about what on earth the coalition government's doing when it comes to education policy. Um, we've left the coalition alone for the last few months. Um, but I think it's about time we sort of turned our gaze as the defenders of government schools on exactly what the federal government is doing. It's almost impossible to find out because they don't talk anymore. Uh, the Prime Minister's gone offline, can't get hold of him, and he's instructed all his ministers not to um, talk to the media um, unless they absolutely have to when it relates to their portfolio. It doesn't matter if there's a bushfire or a flood or a hailstorm or anything like that. No, 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 we, he just doesn't want to talk to us. Um, however, he's still doing things. And I'd like to talk about the attacks on the government school system, because you can't call them anything other than that, the attacks on the government school system, the state school system, by the federal government itself. Now, we're used to having attacks on the state school system or the government school system by various corporate interests. We're used to having attacks on the government school system by people who run the alternative state-funded program, which is the religious institutions of Australia, the Catholic Church, the Anglican Church, the Muslims, um, or the people of Islamic faith, um, the Scientologists, the Exclusive Brethren, all of these people receive taxpayer-funded money to run their schools. And as a result, they like to slam and attack the state school system. But I'm not going to be talking about them today. We won't necessarily even be talking about separation of religion and the state, as we often do and have had to do over the last six months. We're talking about the federal government trashing... Um, and withholding funds from the government school system while very, very obviously, without any sense of shame, um, propping up the state school system along the way, or the, the, um, the private school system along the way. Um, but without much further ado, we're going to start off not here in Australia with the government, we're going to start off overseas. Jean, in her now famous press release, press release number, what is it, Jean? 818. 818, 818 press releases. If you want to read them, of course, back-to-back, if you've got a spare year or so, um, you can go to our website at www.adogs.info or you can actually hear the latest one, which I personally find spectacularly interesting because it relates to something that's going on not in Australia, but in America. And it's a good news story too. Indeed. Very interesting. Please continue, Jean. Yes, how a gang of angry teachers beat Kentucky's Donald Trump. Absolutely, there will be more of that after this. 
3CR are selling kefir Palestinian scarves in support of the last factory that produces them in Hebron, Palestine. All profits will be donated to the reconstruction efforts in Gaza and support Palestinian industry. These are traditional scarves available in red and black, or you can choose from a modern design. Go to 3cr.org.au slash shop to buy online or drop into the station during business hours. Well, how a gang of angry teachers beat Kentucky's Donald Trump. It's not Donald Trump himself, but it's certainly a man that he wanted to win the governorship of Kentucky, which is a red state, which was a red state, is still a red state, but they've got rid of the governor. Australian teachers, particularly those involved in the Fair Funding Now campaign, yes, should I, take so, um, What's a red state? So I'm, I'm just a little bit... What, what, is, is that... Um, Republican. Oh, okay. So a Republican. A blue state, state. Yeah. is a Democrat state. Right, and a red state. So this is a, this is a state that's normally Republican, and Republicans, of course, yeah. are very into school vouchers and all that sort of silliness, aren't they, Jane? Well, the American political system is rather different to ours. It is a united state, so the states are still very important, even more important than in Australia. Okay. And um, when it comes to the presidential elections, it doesn't matter how many people vote for Hillary Clinton or for Donald Trump, as we found out. Uh, Donald Trump's votes were millions down on Hillary Clinton's, but that he became president because individual states had the votes, not the popular vote, but the votes of their delegates to the, uh, the group that determined who the president would be. And Kentucky is a Republican state. They usually have the numbers to help Donald Trump. But he also supports the governor of that state, and the governor of that state was a man called Bevan and he became very, very unpopular. He's been given his marching orders in recent weeks uh, by a gentleman called Bashir, and um, the people who made all the difference in the campaign were the public school teachers. That's the story that I want to tell you. And this political victory in America has been in large part the work of Kentucky's Kentucky's mass mobilisation of teachers in 2018. And we have told you about this last year, but this is the result. So Australian teachers who have become politicised, and they have, and they are becoming more politicised by Mr Morrison, should take heart. You never give up. You might fail, but you try again, you fail better, and eventually you win. And this is what has happened. Aside from the governor himself, no one did more to cement Bevan's status as the least popular Republican governor in the United States than a person called Brewer, the public school employee who sparked Kentucky's mass mobilisation of teachers last year. When thousands of educators responded to Bevan's proposed changes to public pensions, and they all called in sick and they shut down Kentucky's schools. Now, Bevan, the ex 
Republican governor of Kentucky, Bevan, spent four years mimicking President Donald Trump's bullying approach to politics. He turned his ire on nearly anyone who questioned him, and the anger he inspired in so many Kentuckians seemed to turn Tuesday's election last week into a referendum on the governor. So much so that he was the only Republican on Kentucky's ballot who failed to win. In a red state like Kentucky, where Trump is popular and the GOP, that's the Republican Party, is too, beating Bevan was never going to be easy. It took nearly perfect circumstances in this bluegrass state and it required a candidate, a party, a campaign and an energised grassroots movement working in concert to take advantage of it. And above all, it needed teachers. Now here's how it happened and I'm reading here from an article in the Huffington Post by uh, two people who wrote this article about the story of what happened in the last year in Kentucky. This campaign to oust Bevan began on a blustery cold day in April 2018 after the Governor and Republicans in the State Legislature forced through changes to an overburdened public pension system for teachers and state workers. Decades of teacher frustration over cuts to public education budgets erupted into massive protests in a place called Frankfurt, the state's sleepy capital city, and thousands of red-clad educators, many of them locked out of legislative proceedings inside, swore to remember in November and drive the Republicans out of office. The protests followed a very similar outburst in West Virginia and they were initially organised in a Facebook group called KY 120 United, which this lady Brewer and another school employee had set up to link teachers in districts across the state. And its membership ranks swelled to nearly 40,000. A record number of Kentucky educators launched bids for public office during the 2018 campaign cycle, many with eyes set on the state legislature seats. The teachers scored some early wins, but overall 2018 was a bit of a disappointment for them. Republicans retained supermajority control of the state legislature despite the best efforts of the Democrats and the teachers tried not to get discouraged. So this is why I think it's terribly important for teachers around Australia in public schools at the moment to never get discouraged. You keep working at it. We've been singularly focused on Matt Bevan for a year and a half. Brewer, the organiser, the major organisation, said, Kentucky Governor Matt Bevan wants a a re-canvas of the voting results from Tuesday's elections. He's not accepting the result. But so too has Bashir, because he was always Bevan's most likely opponent in 2019 because he was the son of the very popular former governor, Steve Bashir, and he used his post as the State Attorney General to antagonise Bevan. 
particularly through lawsuits that attempted to block some of the governor's biggest priorities. Bashir quickly allied himself with the teacher movement, greeting them on the steps of the capital during the protests and taking up their cause. He sued Bevan to block the implementation of the pension bill and in December the Kentucky Supreme Court ruled in his and the teacher's favour. So it's been a long campaign and they've used the courts. As the governor's race began to heat up in 2019, the teachers helped set the agenda in the Democratic primary, focusing the race on public education in particular. Bashir, who had chosen high school assistant principal Jacqueline Coleman, an original um, Facebook member, as his running mate, won the primary in May and turned his attention towards the fall election against his arch-rival. But the teachers were ready too, because the experience of 2018 had left their chief organiser, Brewer, feeling like they had gotten our sea legs a little bit. And they were more organised and prepared to boost Bevan's opponent. From that point on, the teacher movement, which included other public workers and labour unions from the beginning, together with Bashir, along with the Kentucky Democratic Party, hell-bent on not losing again after ugly defeats in 2015 to Bevan and 2016 when the Democrats lost a century-long grip on the State House, they formed something of a symbiotic relationship that benefited them both. Bashir wanted to focus the race on economic issues like Bevan's cuts to public education, his targeting of public pensions and his attempts to end Kentucky's embrace of Medicaid and Obamacare. And Bashir showed an uncanny ability to stay on message, but the teachers also made that easier for him. The prominence of their issues in the race weakened Bevan's attempts to go after Bashir on social issues like abortion and turned what Bevan wanted to be a national referendum on Trump and impeachment into a fight over local issues. And when Bashir argued that Bevan was a bully who broke with Kentucky's more polite politics, the teachers provided a relatable face of who exactly Bevan had targeted. David Patterson, the communications director for the Kentucky Education Association, had this to say, everybody has a teacher they can look back on and say they helped them and made a difference. And those people were the ones that decided that this drumbeat of denigrating and attacking teachers wasn't going to fly. And when Bashir, whom statewide Democrats have hailed for running one of the most organised campaigns in Kentucky history, needed an army of volunteers to help turn out the vote, who was there? The teachers. Nearly a thousand educators volunteered for Bashir's campaign. So Bashir and the state party knocked up on more than one million doors during the campaign and ran a get-out-the-vote operation that helped turn out the voters in the deep blue areas of the state, like Lexington and Louisville, and also in the rural counties. So they knocked on so many doors. 
Brewer said we had people who'd been out for months knocking on doors and we sent text messages, we made phone calls to friends and family, we had days of action. I've never seen so much engagement from people who'd never done it before. So that's a very interesting story, isn't it? It goes on. There's a repeatable strategy The immediate aftermath of Bashir's somewhat shocking victory in a state that Trump won by nearly 30 points just three years ago led to searches for national meaning, even in a race defined by its distinctly local flavours. And, of course, Trump was very upset. And this wasn't the only state legislator and governorship that Trump lost, of course. So it's all very interesting. I suggest if you want to find more that you read the full story which I've put up on our website at www.adogs.info. Thank you very much, Jane. You're listening to The Dogs Program, The Defenders of Government Schools, D-O-G-S. Yes, and I do suggest you check out that on the website. It's a very interesting story about what's happening in America and our education is an issue that's been under-talked about or under-utilised when it comes to those people who wish to change the government in America. I mean, impeachment's one thing, but not doing your schools, not doing the right thing by your schools is actually probably more important in the long run. Um, We'll be back with the dogs um, after this. their pay, their pensions and their working conditions attacked relentlessly by this government. We're a productive, a government-funded 
primary school education and of a government funded secondary school education. Australia is one of the richest and luckiest countries in the world and there's no reason whatsoever why we can't have the very best public schools in the world. It's simply not good enough that kids with disability miss out. You're listening to The Dogs, the defence of government schools on 3CR. Welcome back to the Dogs Program. A bit of Purcell for your delight, or at least for my delight, and I hope I share it with you. I like Purcell. Um, I was promising you'd be talking about the federal government. Um, before we talk about the federal government and its functional attacks on the government school system, which is strange, with the government attacking its own schools, but that's exactly what they're doing, um, I thought I'd give a little bit of perspective, a little bit of historical perspective, and as Jean was mentioning before, Dr Ian Hansen was an academic at Melbourne University, an educational academic, and um, as Jean has mentioned on a number of occasions, there's many people that once they retire, they change their tune, they feel freer to talk about things. Because in Australia over the last, I don't know, four decades, there's a couple of things you don't talk about in dinner parties and polite society. Um, and it's not the normal things. As I say, if you want to find out where corruption is in any given society or any even place around the world, you find out what you can't talk about. So if you go to Egypt, into a middle-class dinner party, you can't talk about corruption um, in the police. You just don't. That's not to be spoken about in polite society. In, in Australia... We have a list of things you can't talk about. One of them, of course, is um, what, you know, what schooling system you prefer. It provides many, many, many debates and arguments. Um, but Dr Ian Hansen um, is just this year retired, and he says he, he, he's actually written an article in the City Morning Herald, which is functionally um, a mayor culpa. I find it very interesting because uh, if you wanted to have an academic career in education in Australia, to be anti-state aid for private schools was, um, no, you, you, were, you were going to be in trouble because so many of the private school um, supporters and others had got into the um, academic positions in the education departments. And um, most, uh, most academics were um, quite happy. They might complain a little bit. They might even sometimes talk about needs policies, but they would never take a no-state aid stance as the dogs did. And I'm here speaking from, from experience. As well as your contemporaries. Um, in the mid-1960s, he, yeah, he mentions that he conducted the first major academic study of non-government schools in Australia. I mean, I know at that time, Jean, you were conducting um, academic surveys of government schools in Australia. Well, he didn't, wasn't interested in that. He was interested in non-government schools. Um, he says that he is himself a product of a government high school, but he was interested in the sociology of independent sector. Of necessity, he became involved in the lives and aspirations of these schools and was very soon aware that, with a handful of exceptions, private schools back in the 60s were not rich schools. To my education students at Melbourne University, Dr Ian Hansen says that he used to present a typical annual budget of a middle-order school to demonstrate how such schools barely broke even financially in the 60s. He found himself admiring what they got done and how they managed with often substandard facilities 
and sensing the unease with which numbers of them had accepted the Menzies Federal Science Grants in this 1963. Was, this was before state aid was given in large amounts. Hmm. By the 1970s, there were subtle shifts in the way these schools saw themselves. Enrolments and then tuition fees increased. Previously, there had been an unwritten understanding among themselves that these schools should never advertise, but now they began to. Their new self-confidence moved into self-satisfaction. The greedy and hustling 1980s caused the schools to slip from an educational model of performance into a business model. Headmasters and headmistresses became principals, CEOs. Money was spent on refurbishing front gates and sporting facilities, anything that would sell an image. Um, I'm going to step aside from this article here. Um, That was the time, of course, that state aid really kicked in. That was the point at which they got lots of money from me, because I was alive at the time paying taxes, and from you, um, if you were alive at the time paying taxes. This was the point at which they started to get a real flood of government money, and they wanted to spend it, and they spent it, of course, on front gates and sporting facilities. This was the time that uh, the Schools Commission uh, no longer was really dealing with needs policies. Uh, There was a change at the top from Ken McKinnon to Peter Tannock, who has since, I think, got a papal papal knighthood for the work that he's done for Catholic education. And I think that he also was instrumental in the establishment of the Notre Dame University. Uh, But uh, the actual funding started to become very skewed indeed. And the Schools Commission had on it uh, a man called Van Davey and also a, girl, a lady called Joan Brown representing the government schools and they wrote dissenting reports. So the Schools Commission, which had been set up to quieten the state aid debate, uh, was got rid of by the um, coalition government in the 1980s. And that was really the end of the needs policy and there hasn't been a needs policy since. Gone skisgar. Um, Look, Dr Ian Hansen says that at this point in the 80s, um, in which his understanding um, and patience for the non-government school began to wane, he said he felt the divide between public schools and private schools widening. As the one sector grew in social prestige, the other more and more lacked relevance. The drift apart is now nearly near to absolute it's interesting that he knew about this in the 80s, but he was still working and he wasn't retired. So he just kept up, kept up his business, didn't he? Sorry, but um, Dr Ian Hansen, that's exactly what you did. Um, it has all become political, not vocational, he says. I thought I knew these sorts of schools. I wrote their histories. I spoke at their speech nights. I led their staff conferences. But um, I don't know them anymore, he says. The ABC this year conducted a survey of my school data from around 8,500 schools. It was found in the period of 2013 to 2017, four non-government schools spent $100 million each on capital works. While in the same period, 1,500 public schools had been waiting for up to 15 years for the urgent repairs to their buildings. I know, he says, a school auditorium that ranks in luxury and acoustics with the Hamer Hall. I know exactly the one he's talking about. It's, it's actually at MLC. That's not fair when another school I know has urinals open to the sky. 
Our heads of the powerful lobby groups for non-government schools are pleased with what they've achieved. Um, Dr. Inez, yes, they have. Yes, they are very pleased. And they thank you for your service. They genuinely and really, truly thank you, Dr. Ian Hansen, for your service in making sure that they were supported through those turbulent times from the 60s to the early noughties. Because if he'd done his history, he would have understood that what has happened was um, quite predictable. The dogs predicted it. Um, it. It was obvious, but um, it didn't suit those who wish to serve the elite rather than the poor in our mm. community and the disadvantaged to see what was happening. But to be fair, and now he has um, yes, changed yes. his point of view. He's free to do so. He's free to do so because he's now, he's now a man of independent means and doesn't depend on Melbourne University for a salary. Um, <coughs> um, he had tenure there, I think. Mm. Very few people now have tenure at Melbourne University, so mm. there you go. He says, just don't try and tell me that two parents have to work very hard to find $30,000 a year for their child's fees. It's not fair. Because there are parents who have to work very hard to find $30,000 to put food on the table for the families that they have in the first place. See, that's not fair either. So he, he makes a point. Now, I... I point that article out in terms of background because that was then and I want to tell you what's going on now. And what's going on now, I'm going to move a bit backwards, I'm going to start to talk about the drought because the drought in schools is a fascinating study in what the federal government really thinks about the state school system. But we'll be doing that after this. Come along this Saturday to the first meeting of GUM, the global unity movement at the Moroccan Subar 2 in North Fitzroy. GUM is a movement with a global vision and a local action plan. It's a movement that is built by communities, not governments. A movement where everyone matters, no matter our causes or skin colour or sexuality or economic disposition or ability. In a polarised and divided world, we are left frustrated with governments, distrusting of politicians and anxious about our future and the world. Communities have to organise to preserve the values which are important to harmony in our societies. Invite everyone who cares. Global Unity Movement. This Saturday, 2pm, Moroccan Soup Bar, 316 St George's Road, North Fitzroy. A 3CR supporter. For those people in Australia who have been distracted by the horrors of the bushfires, uh, you might have forgotten that we're in the middle of a, one of the worst droughts um, ever seen on this continent since white people have been here. Probably, in all sorts of ways, the worst drought that's ever been because the degradation of the land by us, um, that is the um, colonisers of the country, and, and I, am an, I am a descendant of those colonisers and I live in a big city and I'm very pleased to do so and I'm proud to be an Australian. However, I do recognise that the agricultural practices of, that I demand so I can have my bananas for breakfast um, and my... Actually, I don't really like smashed avo on toast. I'm, 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 I'm a traitor to my kind. I don't, I don't really like smashed avocado on toast. I tried to have some the other day just, just to see if it... No, no. I, I haven't come round to it. I thought you were having your honey, darling. Oh, well, you're right. Yes, darling. <laughs> um, look, government schools... In, as, as part of the process of the bush, of, um, not bushfire, of drought relief. Um, there's farmers out there suffering. There's farmers out there suffering a great deal. This I have no question about and no problem with. 
One of the reasons why farmers are suffering apparently is that they're having trouble keeping up with their school fees for when they send their children to private schools. But do not worry. This is a significant problem that the federal government will address. And let me tell you, tell you how they're going to do it. I think this is fascinating because the coalition government, about four weeks ago now, but it's still ongoing, this is not a joke, coalition government is giving $10 million in drought education funding. None of this money is allowed to go to government schools. It is only to be given to independent and Catholic schools in the bush. No government school is going to see any of this money because apparently, according to the coalition government, because they don't charge fees, um, the government schools don't need any extra relief in the drought. But what... what what private schools are there in the bush? They don't go into the to the uh, outlying Boarding areas schools. because it's not Boarding a, a business proposition. Boarding schools, regional centres, Boarding schools in the city. Boarding yes. schools in the city. Government schools, well, because the money will be given to the farmer who then pays it to the boarding school who then keeps, continues to send their child there because, hey, we live in a classless society, he said with great cynicism. <laughs> um, I'll just read you the details. The government schools will not be eligible for a $10 million in new educational funding announced um, about oh, three weeks ago in, in the drought package, prompting teachers' unions to argue the measure is both elitist and unfair. I think that's a fair argument. I, I, I'm, I'm into that. Australian Education Union President Karina Haythorpe said it's another slush fund for private schools. And this says this is on top of the $1.2 billion choice and affordability fund for Catholic and independent schools, which is one of the first things the federal government did when they came into power under Scott Morrison. Now, um, I'll be coming back to that because I think that's really interesting. This is something that's gone under the radar for many people and it's worth bringing up again. Now, when they were releasing um, the drought funding... Dan Tien, uh, the Federal Education Minister, announced the coalition would provide $10 million for schools that are impacted by drought. Schools that are impacted by drought so they can provide relief for families. And modelled on its response to the Queensland floods. Um, and also, he says, an extra $5 million for childcare centres. He said the funding would address the impact of parents of drought, uh, parents of drought and worrying whether they'll be able to continue to afford their children, send their children to school and the toil and hardship parents suffer paying school fees. Um, I'm not quite sure if that makes any sense. I'm just going to go through that again because he's doing a bit of a trump there. He's not making sense. He says the $10 million will address the impact on parents of drought and worrying whether they'll be able to continue to afford their children to school and pay the fees at those schools. That's the federal government's priority when it comes to education in this country. And is that the education minister speaking? Yeah, that, that's a quote. Um, um, <laughs> if he went to a private school and he still can't string a sentence together, <laughs> it's not voting well. Mm. Sorry. He said the education department has specified that $10 million is only for non-government schools as a supplementary financial resource for schools, which have introduced fee relief and or curtail their operations to cope with the drastic... Oh, I see. The lovely non-government schools have, have introduced fee relief to the poor farmers, but that's okay because they get... It all, it, all the money it's comes... It's all going to come back. It's all going to come back. It's all, yeah. So when is charity not charity? When is giving not giving? Ah, oh, when you're a private school. You see how this all just ties in? Yes, it does. Hmm. 
What's happened is they've told the parents that they can have some fee relief, but they want the fees, so they're getting it from the government. A yep. bit more state aid, that's yep. all. The Treasury is open for private schools. It is closed for public schools. Yeah. This is, this is the federal government. This is their attitude to state schools. Haythorpe, the um, Australian Education Union president, told The Guardian Australia, because I'm actually reading here from a Guardian article. The article, of course, was released on the 8th of November um, and is written by a fellow called Paul Karp. Um, Haythorpe told Paul the measure was disgraceful and further evidence that the Morrison government only considers the needs of non-government schools. Yeah, yeah, no, it, that's exactly what it's evidence of. That's not polemic, that's just fact. She says, we have thousands of government schools. More than 80% of students in rural and remote areas are actually in public schools, a lower percentage than the rest of the population because, as Jean quite rightly says, private schools don't go to the bush. There's no money there. And they, the public schools, are deeply impacted by drought. She says, it's an elitist argument that only parents of non-government schools needed fee relief, which relied on the stereotype that farmers all send their kids to boarding in private schools. It's only the really wealthy ones, many of, of whom have probably got managers anyway. To, to privilege one sector over another is to further entrench the level of inequality, she says. If it recognises a genuine need, surely you would deliver funding to all sectors and make the package elitist rather than make it elitist and exclusive. Now, here's something that I find quite disturbing. Tanya Plibersek, mm-hmm. Labor's education spokesman, says... It's terrific that these schools will get extra help during the drought. That's what she says. But she says, but what about the public schools? Um, Public school students and parents are struggling through the terrible drought too. What is Scott Morrison going to do to help them? But, yeah, she says, that's fine. Just do that. You've just got to give more money to state schools as well. But, yeah, yeah, you give fee fee relief for the wealthy farmers who send their children to boarding school. Shocking business. We'll be back after more. Want to defend government schools? We are the DOGS, D-O-G-S, Defenders of Government Schools. Every week on the DOGS program we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. If you're a parent or if you're a kid or if you're involved in the school in any way whatsoever and you love your state school, give 3CR a call. We want to hear about these schools that we're defending. Brunswick Secondary State College. schools are great. Harkaway Primary great School. Sunshine North Primary School. They're really school. concerned about the welfare of the kids and their growth as people as well as learning. Like you put on plays, you've got enrichment, you've got physical education, visual arts, languages, all that. In fact, is there a cooking? Actually, an embracing of kids from disadvantaged backgrounds and with additional needs. More than half of your kids are from some of the poorest families in Australia. Yeah, definitely. That's the community and that's who we're servicing and that's who, that's who we welcome into the school. Outdoor play is linked to healthier and happier children. This, in turn, leads to better grades. In the weekly assemblies and stuff, they have a little thing, uh, you've been caught being good, and they have a, a value of the week each week, and so it's not just words that he's actually... So, so what do the teachers do when it's a building site? Yeah, they kick themselves out of their own staff room and turn it into a classroom. Just a really nice culture and an emphasis on social skill building as well as learning. Quite a range of intellectual ability and kids with mental health diagnoses, refugee kids, kids who have not been in the country very long, don't necessarily start off with a positive great deal. relationships with each other, with teachers, and with the community. And they run a, a breakfast club. There's a recognition that some kids don't get breakfast, and so there's, there's food on. If you are involved in a state school and it's a great school, we'd love to hear from you so we can talk about it and tell the world. Leave a message for the dogs at 3CR on 9419 State schools are great schools. Great state schools.
Yes, welcome back to the Dogs Program, the Defenders of Government Schools. It's good to have your company again. Um, this propensity for the federal government to fund private schools only to the, excu- to the exclusion of, 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 of public schools, um, not only is it reprehensible in a sort of equity way, it's actually bad economics. Because despite the federal government propping up, literally propping up, in this case of the drought, the private school system across Australia because the parents can't afford the fees so the government steps in and pays the fees as well as the funding that those private schools get from the government anyway means that this is an uneconomic um, proposition. I mean, you're actually wasting money. If all of that money had gone to a state school, the money could have been much better and more efficiently and effectively and accountably spent. Because bear in mind, the vast majority of certainly um, Catholic schools, um, there's no, nothing accountable about the way they spend their money. It goes to a bureaucracy and then it goes to the school, and whether it gets there or not, it's a matter for the Catholic education office. It's no business of mine, apparently, and I could just go away. But there's something else that's going on. Because Morrison's boost to the funding of Catholic schools in particular, and private schools in general, is in fact despite the fact that these schools are failing. And when I say failing, their enrolments are going down. The population of Australia is not buying the model they're selling. It doesn't really matter how many nice school gates and swimming pools and hockey fields these schools, and indeed ridiculous auditoriums, these schools possess to attract people in an advertising sense. Um, The population of Australia is actually marching, and it's marching with its feet, and it's marching with its feet away from the private school system. So the Morrison government is actually backing the wrong horse. It continues to preference funding of Catholic school systems despite falling enrolments. Um, when it first got into government, it gave $1.2 billion into what they called the Choice and Affordability Fund, which basically means money for private schools only. Because apparently um, state schools don't give you choice and they're not affordable. I don't know. It's just ridiculous. Now, the analysis by the Australian Education Union reveals that a combined government recurrent Commonwealth state funding increase to Catholic schools has grown by 80% faster than it has for public schools over the last 10 years. This is contemporary stuff we're talking about now. The growth in funding to Catholic schools has grown 80% faster than it has for public schools. We go back to Corinne Haythorpe, who we know is the AEU federal president. She said, while the majority of the shift in enrolment growth away from Catholic schools and towards public schools has been in primary schools to date, this trend is now starting to feed through to the secondary schools, creating additional pressure on an already very under-resourced public system which is not being effectively funded by the Morrison government. Public school enrolments, she says, and I quote, are soaring and yet these figures show growth in government funding to Catholic schools has been far greater than those provided to the public schools. The total number of students enrolled in public schools has increased over a quarter of a million in the last decade. And by nearly 75,000 in the last three years alone, whilst Catholic enrolments over the same period has actually fallen... You know, we've become larger as a nation, but the Catholic school enrolment has fallen by 1,300 students in the same time, which is in fact going backwards if you consider the population of Australia. Well, it's, well, it's, it's going backwards in real terms, but it's, it's backwards in percentage terms as well. Sorry, Jane, you were saying Yes, something. it's less than 20%. It's less than a fifth. Hmm. Um, so uh, there's something very strange going on. I mean, parents are walking with their feet, so... Yeah. But you're, you're dealing with a system that has moralised at everybody for years and years and years, and then it turned out that, that, that there was a pretty nasty garbage bin underneath the lid. 
underneath the high hypocritical lid. Mm. Yeah, public school enrolments have grown from 65 to 66%, which in actual numbers is quite large, of all the enrolments over five years, whilst the Catholic school systems have now declined to a new low of less than 20%. Yet Catholic school funding increases still far outpace those provided to public schools. Haythorpe says this makes a mockery of the Morrison government's claims to observe equitable needs-based funding and sector blindness. <laughs> it's the opposite. In addition, total growth of combined Commonwealth and state funding from 20, 2009 to 2017 has been 23% per public school student compared to 50% almost per Catholic school student. Two out of every three students attend public schools, yet Morrison government is ignoring them to preference less than one-fifth of students that attend Catholic schools. Now, so much of what's going on in Australia at the moment politically, certainly in the federal sphere, is ideological. There's, there's, there's the whiff of extremism to it. doesn't matter how quiet you are. doesn't matter how silent you are as the Prime Minister. doesn't matter how many interviews you don't do. You can't go around saying, how good's the private school system? And even when you say that, you can't fund the private school system at such high inequitable levels without there being some consequences. Not necessarily political ones in the short term, but for our nation. We are ignoring 60% of the children of this country and underfunding them deliberately. At our peril. Um, at our peril, for no other reason that I can see than it's... Um, ideological. It's quite strange. But back to, um, back, there's an article written, and the article is in, of course, in the, what used to be the Fairfax Papers, but it's an interesting one indeed. So the federal government must deliver the recurrent funding needed to ensure that every school meets the school resourcing standards, says Ms. Haysort from the AEU. Now, according to the actual data analysis the AEU is conducting, because I think they're getting more punchy as the world goes by, because they can see what's happening. It's actually beyond the pale. I mean, over in America, there's this fellow, I can't remember, he's the president, I can't remember his name, um, he's being impeached. Well, he's about to be impeached because he did a bad thing. He used personal benefit, his office for personal benefit, all that sort of stuff. And, you know, everyone's, everyone's losing their mind over it. Like, it's, it's a big thing. Here in Australia, our ideologically sort of motivated federal government is refusing to fund the public school system and is gratuitously funding under the mantra of choice and affordability the private school system and no one's saying anything. It's just like, oh, I don't know. Oh, we are. We're saying pretty. When I say no one, I mean no one but us. No one but us in the AEU. No one but us in the AEU and FURIS. No one but us in the AEU and parents' organisations. In fact, there's lots of people saying things, but the federal government's going, oh, well, you know. Who are they? Well, no, they're saying, shut up. Well, they're saying, be quiet. Stop stressing. We don't, we, don't, we don't want to hear from you. We don't want to hear from you because, because you, well, you don't matter and um, you're not one of the quiet Australians because if you were one of the quiet Australians, you wouldn't be talking. And we, we're here for the quiet Australians. The next time you hear the quiet Australians used by a federal politician, I go, oh, right, you only like people who don't talk about things that you do not like. I think it's quite extraordinary. Anyway. Um, We're lucky we can say all of this on 3CR. Yes, because whatever else you can say about something like Australia, we still have community radio like 3CR where I can sit here and rabbit on about how I think this is ridiculous. Mainly, and I'm not really um, going to push the point here, mainly because it is ridiculous. Mm. But we'll be back after, after a little bit because 
We've got a great state school to talk about. Every week on the Doctor Program we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. State schools are great schools. School of the week. State school. School of the week. Great state schools. State schools. School of the week. School for the week here on the Dogs Program. Welcome back to the Dogs Program. Um, we have a great state school. The great state school I'm going to talk about is in Hawthorne. And say, what are you talking about, Hawthorne? That's all rich and lardy dark. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's the Glen Ferry Primary School. Um, we're equal opportunity sort of praises here when it comes to state schools because Glen Ferry Primary School is exactly the school I've been talking about in terms of people shifting from the private school sector to the public school sector. And this has been happening, as Karina Haythorpe was hinting, in the primary sector first and then into the secondary sector. And Glen Ferry Primary School was a great state school because it does good things. It does good things well. It does good things well with rich kids, but it still does good things well. Um, because the state school system serves everybody. And if you live in a wealthy area, then the kids are going to come to the school and they're going to come from wealthy families. If you live in a poorer area, they're going to come from poorer families. State school doesn't care. It's just a local catchment. It's just who you got. And I think then for a, is actually a great state school because it does not, not just, not just the simple things, but it does interesting things as well. Now, Glenferry Primary strives actually firstly to motivate students and to support them to reach their full potential socially and academically. Now, that's, that's an interesting thing, thing to say. They're not aspiring. They don't just want to motivate kids. They want to interest them. It encourages them to be adaptive, to be creative in their thinking, in order for them to experience success and become responsible and respectful members of an ever-changing society. Citizenship. Is, 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 this is value stuff, isn't it? Shockingly, state schools talking about values and winning, winning, winning the fight when it comes to that, as far as I'm concerned. Now, there's been a new direction for the school, and it's set out um, in their strategic plan, which they're sort of going through. And I just want to tell you, it actually focuses on the achievement of high-quality learning for all students, so three R's. They're not, they're not straying too far into the world of well-being. Uh, they're, they're still talking about academic results, for sure. Um, and this is, in fact, not just the reading and the writing and arithmetic. It's actually across all domains with a strong focus, of course, on English and in particular, from their point of view, mathematics. But they're not the only things. There's actually a strong partnership between home and school with a high level of parental involvement in various programs across the school. You will find this in almost all state schools, sometimes out of necessity and sometimes not. But it's something that state schools do, which is they engage with their parent community in an equal relationship. There isn't a fee-paying relationship. There isn't that meeting with the principal saying, I'm sorry, your child's behaviour means I think that your, your child's education can be best sought elsewhere. No, no, no. This is a state school. The, the engagement is one of, of equals. The parents and the teachers and the administration of the school come together for the benefit of the students, mainly because they have to. But actually, that's a, that's a value to be preserved. Well, parent participation is obviously actively encouraged. The, proud, the school is proud of its strong community involvement as parents provide valuable assistance in the classroom, in excursions, in camps, and across whole school events. The school council is a powerful force in Glenferry Primary School. It's active in supporting many of the initiatives and improvements. 
The Parents and Friends Committee works towards fundraising for the school and organising social activities. New families are always welcome at the school. If they're in the zone, that's all that matters as far as the parents, the schools and the teachers are concerned. And they value diversity. Look, they've got 16 teachers. They've got a principal, assistant principal, two leading teachers as well as classroom teachers. They have a specialist program in the visual arts, phys ed, music and Italian. That's why I'm saying across all. Now, the school's got around about 337 kids, so I think that's a good size of school, so that starts when it makes it come, things coming great. 53% of the kids come from a language background other than English. But you didn't think that about Grand Ferry, but I reckon that's brilliant. Now, let's just, let's just do the numbers. Um, how is the school doing? Uh, compared with similar students, like from other rich backgrounds, it's not just holding its own, it's doing better, certainly when it comes to reading and spelling. When it comes to all, uh, comparing with all Australian schools, both rich and poor, of course, in a country where the income of your parents determines the quality of your education, this is a school that really trumps a lot of the others. Uh, it's, it does very well, basically. How much does it cost? How much does it cost to educate a child at Glen Ferry Primary School? Now, these kids here are doing extraordinary things, actually. Um, how much does that cost? Now, for a primary school, was it about eleven, twelve thousand dollars gives you a gold standard education for the average inverted commas Australian kid. No such kid exists, as far as I'm concerned. So let's just call them the median Australian child. What a horrible thing! I'd hate to be that child. <laughs> um, look, they do the whole thing, including parent contributions of over one thousand dollars. So parents are doing a lot of fundraising at this mm-hmm. school. One thousand dollars per student, just by the way. That's just not all up. That's that's per student. That's what the parents are yeah. raising. Yeah. yeah, which is actually over three hundred ninety thousand dollars a year. Which is you know in a, in, a, in a wealthy area, I'm sure the parents say, well you know we can raise that, and they do. But bear in mind, there's three hundred thirty-seven kids, so yeah, it's a small number, smallish number of kids. So that's a lot of work being done by the parents in fees charges and parents contributions. That includes fundraising. They get a small amount from other private sources. I'm not quite sure what they are, which is $433. But in total, we'll put it this way, Australian federal government net recurrent funding per child is almost $2,000. State funding is around about $7,000. In total, these kids are educated to a gold standard very well for a bit over $10,000 a year. That is value. I, you can you, you can call Glen Ferry Primary School a great school on a number of counts. Firstly, financially, it saved me a lot of money, and I'm a skin flint. Everyone knows that, so I like it. Um, it's also doing the right thing by the kids and engaging the family in a wealthy area in a way that's effective, efficient, and accountable. And as I and the one thing I like about the whole school is I know that if a new child comes to the school, they are welcomed with open arm, whether they speak English as a first language or not. It's an extraordinary thing. So our great state school for the week is Glen Ferry Primary School. So you've been listening to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM Dial podcast on the WWWs. If you want to find out more about us, you can at our website, which is www.adogs.info. That's www.adogs.info. Um, you can actually get to that through the 3CR website, 3cr.org.au. And if you do have an idea, if you're impressed with what's going on at Glen, from Glen Ferry Primary School, but you think your school is better, oh, yeah, please let us know. Just ring up 
during business hours. It's 94198377, 94198377 if you're in the local Melbourne area. If you're not, you put a 03 on the front. Remember that in the old days, the terrestrial lines? We've still got one here at 3CR. So I want to tell Robert that this school's great and he should tell the world. I will. Absolutely I will. Anyway, until next week, it's bye for now. Joe, you're ten years dead.